you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now here he is, the Peabody award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Hello, everybody. Good to have you with us here on the Great America Show. The Russian invasion of Ukraine is inexorably advancing, the Ukrainians paying a higher price each day in lives lost, casualties, and destruction of buildings of all kinds, factories, storage facilities, and infrastructure, including streets and highways, bridges, power plants, their ports, and airports. French President Emmanuel Macron says, after talking by phone with Vladimir Putin, that Putin told him the Russian military will achieve its goals in Ukraine no matter what happens, which means, said Macron, the worst is yet to come for the Ukrainians. The siege of major cities goes on today. The attacks worsening, one city fallen, the port city of Kherson, the Russian army moving in more heavy firepower and tanks as they advance. Intelligence on the situations in Ukraine clear. The brutal attacks and crushing onslaught will go on until the Ukrainian defenders are defeated or surrender. There seems no other option in the face of the overwhelming strength of the Russian forces. To examine all of the day's developments and assess the dire situation for Ukraine, we have with us two great Americans. Chris Farrell, Director of Investigations for Judicial Watch, former U.S. Army Intelligence, Lieutenant Colonel Tony Schaefer, President of London Center for Research, who also worked in military intelligence, his specialty counterintelligence. Gentlemen, great to have you with us. And if I may, I'll begin uh, first, Tony, with you, your assessment of where we are right now in Ukraine. So, Lou, it's always a pleasure to join you. And uh, let me just, I think, point out how the narrative that has been put forth in the media is one that essentially disputes the reality in which we live. And let me explain that. What are the constant uh, barriers put up by the left to common sense and factual discussion is the idea that they create a narrative. And in this case, uh, the narrative that they've been using is that uh, uh, war in Ukraine was unthinkable. And this circles back, and Chris may want to address this a little bit too, uh, one of the points of unity a discussion between you, Chris, and I is able danger, and able danger being the operation before 9-11 that was focused on targeting al-Qaeda. Well, no matter how you cut it, uh, the effort that we were running was going against the then narrative that, hey, we had a risk from foreign sources, in particular uh, terrorism from Islamic uh, uh, groups, uh, and, and that, that went against the then narrative in the 90s. Well, here we are again. 20 years later, and the narrative put forth by the left that, it, oh, it's unthinkable that Putin would attack. Lou, we have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs, General Joseph Dunford, in his 
uh, testimony in 2015 saying the Russians were our greatest threat. I, I just this, this is this is all public record. But somehow this is, quote unquote, unthinkable, unthinkable that the Russians would do this. And uh, well, the other thing more, I've noticed. I'm, 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 I'm going to interrupt sorry. you. Uh, but there is a more proximate example, and that is the fact that they did annex Crimea. Yes. Uh, in 2014. So right. there shouldn't be any doubt about their expansionary uh, interest when it comes to particularly Ukraine. I'm this, sorry, Tony, go ahead. Well, this leads me to my next point, which is then the narrative, It's it was unnecessary for Putin to do this. Or I love Condoleezza Rice, Putin is insane. Uh, I'm sorry, no, Miss Rice, Putin is not insane. It, it, apparently it is necessary because he did it. So the, the first thing we have to do is collect ourselves and push back against this confirmation bias the left wants us to believe. They want to set up a narrative, and, and to protect that narrative, they will attack anyone to include those who speak the truth. And I'd like to believe we three on this, this discussion have always been uh, uh, warriors to try to say, no, this is the, the objective truth, and you need to pay attention to it. So I would argue at this point, we have been uh, victimized by a Biden White House which is essentially established a narrative which they want to protect. Every step of the way, they've tried to establish uh, their view of the world and black is white, uh, dark is, is, is light, all these, these things which we know fundamentally to not be true. And that's, the sta that's where we're at now, even to this day. Uh, Lou, uh, after I've spoken to a number of for, for, uh, former uh, Ronald Reagan cabinet members, uh, you know, Lou uh, and uh, you know Bud McFarland, Ambassador Hank Cooper, um, Ed Meese, we they recognize the strength that Reagan had, and that he would focus on the truth and focus on personalities. Lou, uh, Joe Biden has no understanding of Putin. Uh, he is, instead of trying to figure out how to affect Putin, he's trying to protect the narrative. That's why I've made this point. They set up this, this, uh, this straw man, and then they protect that straw man. And while the reality is moving on down the road, Putin is moving on down the road. He's ex executing his plan. He said today that his plan to invade Ukraine is going as they expected. They've had some hiccups, but he said they're all, I tend to believe, take him at his word. And instead of doing what is necessary to identify Putin's vulnerabilities, they're essentially, they, the Biden administration is, is still pretending that this narrative is the reality in which we live. And they essentially, uh, he judges his success by how many people he can get in his coalition to say good things about what the U.S. is doing, not actually providing a, a, a series of things necessary to counter Putin. So my basic assessment is the Biden administration has no idea what they're doing. Putin's three steps ahead of them. And we're in a very dangerous position where I don't think they have a plan to counter Putin at all. So that's my opening take on this. Chris Farrell. Let me jump in and say that uh, Putin took Crimea under Obama-Biden. He did nothing even remotely in the same uh, vein of aggression under a Trump presidency. But now he's got Biden back in the White House and he knows what he's looking at. He knows that he's got a, a doddering octogenarian who, uh, you know, shows signs of a loss of mental acuity 
and uh, a really, you know, uh, a weak lineup in the foreign policy uh, uh, cabinet of his. And uh, they know they can get away with it. And they know that there's little or no uh, real risk. Uh, sure, there's talk of sanctions, but, you know, China is going to be the back door on all the sanctions talk. China is going to move money for the Russians. Uh, China is going to buy oil and natural gas from them. China is going to exert its substantial uh, economic power to lean back against anybody who brings too much pressure against the Russians. Even the Biden administration is conflicted. We're still importing Russian oil. I mean, come on. Uh, the, the, the movement to exercise uh, uh, actions in SWIFT, the banking system, uh, has been against some Russian banks, but not all Russian banks. So the administration is hypocritical as can be. Even Joe Manchin has put out a press release uh, in his capacity as chairman of the Senate Energy Committee uh, talking about how the administration is hypocritical and conflicted. So, um, you, you know, the Russians will, will grind on and they will take Ukraine and a lot of Ukrainians are going to die. It's going to be a mess. Uh, there's a lot of armchair quarterbacks and armchair generals who are, you know, kind of repeating whatever the latest uh, bit of propaganda is or speculating about things like the 42 mile long convoy outside of Kiev. Right. Um, but a lot of that, frankly, is just, you know, desperation to come up. They've got to fill air. You know what I mean? They can't have the media. They, does, yes. Yeah. And so they'll just go on and on and on endlessly. But uh, Putin detected weakness. He knew he could leverage his natural gas supplies to Western Europe. Remember, the first reaction from the Germans when this all got cranked up, the first reaction from the Germans was not, let's you know unify with Ukraine and the US, let's have a strong NATO. The first reaction from the Germans was, hey, uh, we're willing to send you 5,000 helmets. I mean, that, that characterizes the real reaction from Europe. And intriguingly, they changed their minds and did so very quickly. And I suspect because uh, Vladimir uh, uh, Zelensky turned out to be quite, quite a leader uh, and captured the imagination of a worldwide television audience. Uh, I can't think of another reason why they would have made that reversal other than the fact that they realized that they had made a serious, serious uh, mistake, at least in terms of public relations globally. I think that that's what really got to him was the idea that they were going to be embarrassed and shamed. And uh, look, that's a good thing, right? I mean, you can call people out for what they do or don't do. People can even do the right thing for the wrong reasons, right? Mm -hmm. And this is, this is a case where the Germans uh, had to kind of snap to and, uh, and were forced, as you say, through good PR from Zelensky calling him out. And I have to and I have to credit the Germans for doing so. I agree with you entirely on that. Uh, Tony, what is the national interest here? Because we can observe the narratives. We can observe the messaging. We can observe the posturing uh, of the uh, of NATO, the European Union, the United States. Uh, of course, uh, Putin uh, is at this point out of the message business. He is at war. And mm -hmm. it is driving many in the West nuts because he doesn't care about public opinion. He doesn't care about the narrative in popular press. 
Uh, he doesn't care about the views, opinions, or desires of his own people, as he's made clear. What is in the U.S. national interest in this conflict in Ukraine? Uh, Lou, no one has defined any national interest to any great degree, uh, I would argue, since uh, the Reagan days. I mean, we've been uh, a bit here, a bit there. To Chris's point, uh, there is no policy regarding Ukraine or the Russians. Uh, I feel terrible for the Ukrainian people, Lou. They're caught in the middle of this power play between the East and West. Uh, Putin has been using this technique of, uh, of manipulation and aggressive use of military force since Chechnya. He was part of the Chechnya uh, attacks back in the, in 99. That's how he got his profile. And he's used it over and over. Lou, over this time, we have not established either a, a specific policy regarding Ukraine, regarding NATO, regarding Russia. We, we have no policy. So th- th- there is no ability to judge national interest at this point. Uh, I think uh, what we do see is the Democrat Party I just saw today Nancy Pelosi is blaming high oil prices, high gas prices on mm-hmm. Ukraine. No, 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 it's not because of Ukraine. One could argue that our lack of, uh, of national interest or national policy towards foreigners uh, has, pre- has actually created conditions for this to happen. Uh, as Chris said, there was no aggression uh, by Putin to this level of, or degree under, under Trump. Well, I would argue, Lou, one of the reasons there was none is because Uh, President Trump, through his interest in helping increase our economic independence, our energy independence, he opened the spigots, uh, he he turned the United States into a net exporter of oil, dropped the price. Well, Lou, 50% of all income for the Russian government and Putin is oil revenue from their sales. Well, if if you drop the bottom out of that, you don't have the money going to Putin. And yet in this case, we're actually buying tens of thousands of, 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 of gallons of Russian oil today, this very day. So when you contrast the, the at least somewhat focused policy that would benefit the United States, well, I, it was not a policy designed to counter foes per se, Lou, the very things Trump was doing to empower the economy in the United States actually had an adversarial and, and detrimental effect on Putin. It was great. Two for one. Uh, we simply do not have leaders in place right now, Lou, who have this understanding of uh, the mechanics, or I, I should say, have the willingness to accept the mechanics for what they are. Again, I think that the Biden administration is tied to a narrative they're trying to to establish and maintain, uh, and ignore all facts that relate otherwise. You know, Lou, uh, the Nuremberg uh, trials established that waging a war of aggression was a, a crime. Ironically, uh, the Soviet Union that sat on that tribunal, uh, somehow we developed amnesia and we forgot that the Soviet Union invaded Poland uh, from the east about uh, a week or 10 days after the Nazis invaded Poland from, uh, from the west. So uh, setting aside that, that very unpleasant and awkward historical fact, you know, we held Nuremberg trials and convicted people and uh, executed some and jailed others for waging a war of aggression. And, and I think that's what we find objectionable now with, you know, Putin, uh, in the words of our illustrious vice president, a really big country invaded a really little country, and that's bad, or words to that effect. I'm sure you saw Kamala Harris's ridiculous radio appearance. 
Um, and so, we, look, we look at uh, what Russia is doing and we say, hey, this is uh, objectively wrong. Uh, it's aggression. Uh, you're killing civilians. It, it violates all sorts of conventions and, and treaties. Uh, but beyond that notion, uh, and it's an important notion, I'm not minimizing it, but it's very difficult to articulate to uh, the average American how it threatens them. And it takes, it takes some real thought and some real sort of mastery of the language to be able to lay out how, you know, standing by and doing nothing is not acceptable. But the Biden administration isn't capable of that. He had a State of the Union address where he spent the first half of it talking about Ukraine, but never really explained. And okay, though this is bad, I got it. It, it is bad. Uh, but why does it matter to us? And, and why is Ukraine's border more important than our own southern border? See, this is the hypocrisy that they're caught in. And uh, they have a hard time making it real to the average American. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I, and I think it is important, this comparison between the Biden interest in the Ukrainian borders uh, and disinterest in the U.S. borders. In fact, U.S. immigration law, as well as our, our sovereignty itself. It is, uh, to me, inexplicable that uh, the, the border of the United States can be dismissed and that you would even consider uh, a, a foreign border uh, to be paramount. This is not America first, certainly, but we knew that going in, didn't we? But Biden, uh, to Tony's point, has no policy. No policies existed, it seems, for a very long time, ex uh, with uh, looking at the Trump administration as the anomaly there, because he meant it when he said America first. He meant it when he threatened uh, uh, reportedly. Uh, to uh, to annihilate uh, Moscow if indeed Putin decided he was going to try to take Ukraine. Right. Uh, these are very simple, direct statements of policy, and they seem to have been listened to and believed, uh, and that's a good thing for all the world. Well, Lou, I'd like I'd like to hit that point you just made real quick because it relates directly to, to the to the issue of lack of policy. Reagan famously said. In 19, the 2nd of June, 1998, when he was asked, uh, what is what is his, how, how would he, what's his strategy on beating the Russians? And, and his, his answer was, here's my strategy on the Cold War. We win, they lose. That's it. And the, the method that they, they, imply, they used to do that, Lou, was focusing on the man. Uh, arguably, uh, Chris did a great job of describing the Joe Biden that's in the White House, addled, uh, unfocused, weak. Putin knows this. Uh, he is playing the man. Uh, Biden is not playing Putin. Putin is vulnerable in any number of ways. Uh, the policy is, Lou, to ignore those vulnerabilities, to ignore the fact that Russia makes most of its money off of oil, we could impact that immediately. Sure, as Chris said, they could go around and go to China. They will do that eventually anyway. But there's things we could do now to make, have an effect. Uh, and the other thing that is lacking here is making it personal to Putin. Putin is a thug. Putin is only going to understand power back at him. Everything that's been done, everything that's being proposed means nothing to Putin. Uh, thereby, uh, Therefore, I would argue 
that uh, Biden has no ability to influence the situation at all, which in my judgment makes it very dangerous. Because the thing that's now on the table, Lou, and this is something, this is why I opened my commentary with, you know, this all these things that people think are unthinkable. Putin has reintroduced the concept of nuclear warfare to the world. And people are all like, oh, oh, this is unthinkable. No, this is not unthinkable. It's time we understand that if Putin says something about that, you need yeah. to know he is deadly serious about it. And there was a number of times during the Cold War that the Russians almost launched on us. Uh, a book, uh, War Scared, 1983, my friend uh, Dr. Peter Pry wrote it. Uh, we were almost hit by the Russians, Lou, during an exercise called Able Archer because the Russians thought we, the Soviets thought we were going to do something. So this is where not only is, is Biden's lack of clarity on policy dangerous, his own weakness is an indicator to Putin that maybe it's time to act more, even more aggressively. That is the great danger we now face, is that not only do we have someone who's not capable of understanding, his own incapacitation is something that is actually drawing more aggressive behavior from Putin. Well, they also just have plain old lousy judgment. And by that, I mean, there's reporting in uh, the New York Times, which is essentially the Biden administration's version of Pravda. You know, it's the official right. organ or mouthpiece of the administration. New York Times says that the Biden administration made multiple trips to the Chinese and presented them with intelligence information, arguably the imagery intelligence and signals intelligence, uh, to convince the Chinese that we could see and understand and know what the Russians were up to, and to ask the Chinese to go to the Russians and tell them, knock it off, don't do it. We see what you're doing, we know what you're doing, and to try to you know, have the Chinese act as any intermediaries or leverage or whatever you want to call it. And uh, the Biden administration was repeatedly rebuffed. The Chinese told them drop dead. But what I'm concerned about <laughs> is what kind of goodies, what kind of technical capabilities, the different flavors of intelligence that are out there, how much did we give away to the Chinese in trying to show off and explain to them how we have this all-knowing, all-seeing, all-hearing ability to uh, you know, monitor the activities of the Russians. And you know, the, the, here's the deal. The, the administration bends over backwards to try to you know, run to the Chinese and ask for their help. Uh, they're rebuffed. But in the end, you know, the Chinese and the Russians are laughing at us. And, and they get you know, a very good understanding of exactly what our capabilities are. And it's all for naught. And in fact, what it does is it further drives the Russians and the Chinese together against us. And this is all because of incredibly weak, poor decision making and policies by the Biden administration. Yeah, I, I, let's turn to that issue of China, because China is now offering itself up to all of the world as a intermediary savior uh, for Western civilization because Xi Jinping would be the most effective and honest broker imaginable uh, to decide the fate of his sole global strategic partner, Vladimir Putin versus uh, Volodymyr uh, Zelensky. I, I mean, this is madness. And, and then and newspapers 
websites, news organizations don't even comment on it contextually. And at the same time, we have a, a, a press corps in the United States, a corporate news media that is taking all of this nonsense and not asking the question, why is it our intelligence people and our diplomats were talking with China three months ago as Putin is preparing to in, invade Ukraine, but doesn't have high level discussions with NATO, the European Union. And oh, yes, by the way, perhaps we should be addressing this issue with the American people and have our own forces at the ready from the moment that intelligence is confirmed. How in the world is this administration operating? I watched uh, Tony Blinken uh, at the uh, Blinken in the uh, State of the Union. He looked like he had been run over by a semi. He looked awkward, out of place, uh, understandably preoccupied. Y your thoughts? So, Lou, uh, Blinken is running the same basic circus that Cy Vance ran under Carter. I actually had this conversation with Ambassador Cooper this morning, this very issue. Uh, Cy Vance under the Carter administration to the Soviets, and by the way, to the Iranians, uh, were was showing a, a complete inability to understand their motivation and thereby portrayed everything that the Carter administration was doing as weak, and it, it, it was. President Carter was, a, by many accounts, I don't want to judge it, a well-intentioned man who always sought to use diplomacy and peace as the lead effort to resolve a situation. And, and that, that philosophy that was uh, put forth by Cy Vance simply dug the, 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 the Carter administration into a deeper and deeper hole with our adversaries. I would argue, Lou, we're seeing the same thing again. It's like deja vu all over again, to quote Yogi Berra. Uh, they're doing the same thing. Every time there's an issue that requires confrontation or confidence, they show weakness and fear. And so Blinken is the expression of that, uh, of that he's the guy on the front line demonstrating. So China sees this. China, China's goal is to establish itself as the next ultimate global power that replaces the United States. They've said this in their military doctrine. They're acting on this as a plan. And they see things through generations, not four, three to four year periods. So this is the, they've committed to this. They're going down that path. And Lou, if they can become the ones who negotiate this peace between Putin and others, my goodness, that, that only adds to the prestige and respect that, that others are going to have for them as they move forward with this. So we've got to decide Lou, as a, as a nation, is allowing a, a China to become that level of influential uh, in our interests? I would argue it's not. I think this should be something we address as part of our global strategy. Uh, hint, hint, nobody seems to be willing to have this discussion, and our, the American media continues to ignore these issues as we're talking about right now. But with everything on the table, it's very clear that, that uh, we're seeing the, 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 uh, the, the Carter administration 2.0 uh, on display. And that weakness, that, that showing of weakness is what the Chinese are counting on at this point as they go forward and develop their own uh, strategy for, for increasing their influence over the world. 
let me bring this back to the issue of national interest. What is our national interest in Ukraine? Is this a clash of civilizations, West and East, East and, and Asia? Uh, this is, uh, what is this? Is it good versus evil? Is it right versus wrong? Or is it in real politic terms, a, a nation that has been a, a superpower for the past uh, 80 years, uh, now suddenly about to hand over the mantle uh, to, to Vladimir Putin and Xi Jinping because of some craven corporate uh, uh, entities who've decided that it would be in their interest to have American capital move west to uh, Shanghai, Beijing, all of China, uh, and, and ignore our own uh, interest in investment and a future for our children. What is going on here, Chris? What is the national interest for the United States? And why is it so difficult to get an answer to that question from the people we've elected to lead this nation? There is uh, zero ability on the part of the Biden administration to articulate any sort of national interests uh, in terms that uh, Americans can understand and appreciate and value. And in large part, it's because of both weak leadership and hypocritical, uh, ridiculously conflicted positions, uh, philosophically, ideologically by the Biden administration, but even personally. I mean, uh, you know, you would think that the most qualified guy in the, guy in the room to broker uh, some kind of deal would be Hunter Biden, right? Here's a guy who's got all kind of regional experience in Ukraine and Russia. He's, he should be a subject matter expert and uh, advising and assisting Absolutely. his father. Uh, besides my outrageous uh, facetiousness, um, the, 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 the larger question is, you know, uh, how many Americans are ready to go uh, send their sons and daughters off to go die on a battlefield in Ukraine? And that answer is probably a pretty small percentage of people. Uh, so does that mean that Russia just gets a pass? They can do whatever the damn well please? Uh, no, there's probably a way to use, this is a wonderfully archaic Cold War, Cold War term. We can use deterrence. Imagine that. Uh, but it's too late now. It's too late to deter Putin. That's another failure on the Biden administration's part. You know, the, the invasion has occurred. We're not going to threaten and cajole or influence Putin to do or not do something. It, it, you know, the horse is out of the barn. So how do we do? Now we're at the stage of damage control. And uh, it, it, damage control doesn't sell very well. It's not very sexy. It's not very interesting. It's, uh, it's very deadly business. And it just, it, it puts, uh, it, it just, it harms our natural interest, national interest but I have a very hard time being able to articulate a, a vision forward. Not, not right now, I don't. And let me jump in with, with Chris on this. I, I, there are, there are uh, national interests in that there are strategic issues that have to be addressed. Lou, I would argue uh, some accords got us in trouble. The Minsk Accord in 2014, uh, where that was supposed to be the great resolution to the issue of Crimea, it didn't go anywhere. Before that, I believe the guiding the, vision there was a community organizer. Exactly. 
not a, uh, a geopolitical statesman. And right. what, what I'm asking here is what is our national interest? A hard rock, tough, analytical uh, question that deserves a straightforward answer from the Biden administration, which instead of giving us the answers, uh, we have Nancy Pelosi today saying ban oil. Right. Uh, and, and whose interest is that? Uh, that's a wonderfully reflexive and uh, short-minded <laughs> short answer, because what would result from that is not Vladimir Putin in any discomfort whatsoever, but rather every American looking at the prospect of 6 to $7 a gallon gasoline, which would hurt every American because that would roll throughout the economy. We, are, we have a president who stood up and said, He's, by golly, going to uh, take 60, uh, 60 million barrels of oil and out of reserves, uh, and we'll put up 30 of that, and the rest of the world can put up another 30, which is some of the most ridiculous calculus I've heard in a while, even from this administration. 30 million, that's, uh, that's at, the, at the most, that's uh, two, three days of oil. We're importing, we're importing hundreds of thousands of barrels of oil every day from Russia. That isn't the issue. The issue is they've invaded a country. Right. The other issue is what the hell are we doing talking about sanctions? Sanctions don't work. They have never worked. And I will be glad to hear the exception if anybody wants to raise it. They don't work. This man built Vladimir Putin the most advanced military outside of China and the United States in the world. And he had, as you both know better than me, uh, they had to start with some pretty uh, low levels of readiness uh, in, the, uh, in what was the old Soviet Union to get where they are today. Sanctions don't work. And they we should also we, we should also never forget, Lou, that uh, when it comes to grinding out unpleasant ground conflicts and uh, and just going toe-to-toe -to -toe interminably with incredibly high losses you, you know the russians invented misery right oh yes they they know misery like nobody knows it and so whether you, you look at their world war ii experience or down in afghanistan or in chechnya you know th them taking their time and and grinding up Ukraine over a, over a period of months, they have no qualms with that. I mean, the United States doesn't have the stomach for it. Western European countries certainly don't. Uh, and so they, they just the mindset and the view and the mentality is very different. And Putin is the one man face of Russia, and he's not going to be beaten. He's not going to, going to allow himself to be defeated. And so, you know, there are people who are probably advising uh, Zelensky to, to go for neutrality, to broker a deal, to stop whatever's going to happen here and swear that Ukraine will never join NATO and never even think about it again or make some other sort of concessions. But, but you know, the Russian monster is out of the box and you're not going to put him back in. Right. And there's a deeper level of this, Lou of uh, why you've answered your own question, why there's a there's not a policy by the Biden administration, because the Biden family didn't want a policy resolution. And here's why. 
2012, there were great uh, uh, undiscovered, then discovered, uh, undeveloped, I should say, uh, fields of natural gas and oil in Ukraine. So much so in the the region near the Donbass and also in the Black Sea, such reserves were discovered to potentially allow Ukraine to become a net competitor, economic competitor against Russia. Now, remember, Russia makes 50% of its oil off of, uh, 50% of its income off oil. They did not want Ukraine to first off become a competitor, but that's why Hunter Biden became a board member of Burisma, Lou. The, the Biden family wanted to be in on this. They played both sides against the middle. It's all about how they can benefit themselves. And I would argue, obviously, Chris and company are still involved in that investigation. That's great. God bless them. But I think they're going to come to find once they get down to the nitty gritty. A lot of this had to do with the fact that there are resources there that Putin does not want to have developed by a, 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 a potential competitor. And that's why the Biden family was deeply involved. That's why Joe Biden himself jumped in and had people fired when these relationships uh, were becoming much more apparent. And so you actually have someone in the White House, Lou, who did not want a policy. Uh, there's no reason to today. There's no reason. There's no technical or diplomatic reason why Ukraine could not be or, or, or could not have been made a member of NATO. This was a political triangulation where those in political positions of authority wanted this out there as a point of leverage to benefit them financially. And let me say this, uh, both all the major countries we're talking about, Ukraine, Russia, they all have corruption at the very top. That's that's how they do business. And we have to understand that as a backdrop of why things are the way they are. It's it's not a system based on representative Republican ideals. It's about essentially a handful of folks controlling resources. So are you gentlemen telling this audience that Russia and Ukraine are not Candy Rock Mountains <laughs> that should be uh, warmly received intellectually uh, by the world audience as civilized states and uh, have deep <laughs> and subterranean motives for what is transpiring on the pages of our newspapers, websites, and TV sets. Uh, I'll Lou, I, I, I'll, let me yeah. jump in and just tell you that, you know, uh, most people uh, as of two weeks ago couldn't find Ukraine on a map. They probably maybe only half could find it now. Uh, there's a lot of propaganda on both sides, uh, some weird fairy tale stories that sound good but may not be based in, in reality. You've got members of Congress sitting at the State of the Union wearing the little blue and yellow pins or, you know, clothing. Uh, I I was in downtown D.C. this morning. Uh, I'm now safely back in Virginia, thank God. And uh, (laughs) I can tell you that, you know, they have Ukrainian flags flying off of all of the uh, light poles downtown. There's American flag, D.C. flag, and Ukrainian flag. Uh, Which one's on top? Uh, that's the that's the question, probably the Ukrainian one. But I mean, th- this is the sort of pathetic uh, sideshow, trivializing, wear a pin, uh, you know, talk as though Ukraine is the most important thing in the world, uh, while you know, the Biden administration in the last year presided over a two and a half time increase in the amount of fentanyl in the country. 
that's the number one killer of Americans 18 to 45. We're not supposed to pay attention to that. Don't wear a pin. If I don't wear a pin or have a flag for that, but we're supposed to, you know, do backflips over Ukraine. Yeah. I I just wanted to interject to say one thing. Uh, uh, That fentanyl has become such a big business that the Chinese now have a competitor. And that is, of course, uh, the cartels in Mexico, uh, both uh, China and Mexico, perfectly willing to ship as much of it here. uh, What, 100,000 deaths last year. Uh, those deaths uh, in Ukraine, I don't know what they are. I do know they're understated considerably in the national media. It's going to be far worse than anything that we would imagine based on the reporting right now from Ukraine. But n- at the same time, nothing near the number of Americans we lost to to a, a war on drugs that we don't fight. Uh, as we talk about this, I think it's important to, to focus on, on that answer by uh, Nancy Pelosi let's ban that oil. Uh, We have Biden, the president of the United States saying today that the Capitol Hill riot actually inspired Vladimir Putin to invade Ukraine. And then he also lied by saying that those rioters kill five policemen. And no one is, to my knowledge, at least uh, corrected the, the good president. And these lies go on and, they're, and they percolate uh, normally and daily out of the left, the Marxist left of the Democratic Party, whether it is the national media, corporate media, whether it is the, the, the Democratic leadership on the House or the Senate. Uh, it just goes on and on. Is there maybe a lesson in all of this that we should take care of business at home? and ask ourselves, how is it that we have a mentally impaired, it appears, president? 62% of Americans believe he's not mentally fit to be president, and no one is really arguing that point uh, professionally. So the Biden administration refuses to establish a policy following a president who has established the clearest foreign policy, I think, in our, our country's history, and that is America first. That refusal to be concrete and be, uh, that refusal to be concrete and to be specific uh, is in whose interest? It's not in the national interest. And is this really a a war in Ukraine that is driven by forces that the national left wing media uh, and governments of the of Europe in particular refuse to acknowledge are at work? Chris? Uh, I'm sorry. Well, um, the fact that the Biden administration can't articulate a policy is evidence of the forfeiture uh, of U.S. leadership. And uh, if we're not going to lead, you're not going to see anybody in NATO uh, stepping up to fill in the gap. Uh, Everyone sort of would naturally defer to or look to Germany as being you know, sort of the uh, the vice leadership or the secondary role. Uh, but the Germans had to be dragged into uh, paying attention to this because they're getting an enormous amount of their uh, natural gas, 40 to 45 percent of their natural gas mm-hmm. from Russia. Um, and so everyone's kind of, you know, they're wringing their hands and they're clutching their pearls and they're fanning themselves and expressing, you know, great distaste. Uh, but really the spectators. There, there's going to be 
a very slow, ugly, painful uh, collapse of Ukraine uh, under a Russia that's not going to quit. And the West isn't really going to do anything. Uh, that's a very sad prognosis, but that's my prediction. And uh, the lack of leadership, the lack of clear direction uh, from the supposed leader of the free world uh, is just going to compound this. And when you, it, when you put that on top of the Afghanistan disaster, uh, it really leads China to just decide to go for broke and grab Taiwan. Uh, they are watching this and they are studying us. Uh, and we are a pathetic study right now. Uh, we have allowed a president to be put in the White House who is incapable of performing his duties and, and leading in at least the, the standards of, uh, of past presidents. Uh, he is incapable of understanding the national interest and in articulating it. And Tony, this is also a highly suspect moment because I'm wondering about the motivations of corporate America, the corporate media, I am worried about the alignment that they have with communist China, which is the principal strategic partner of the man who is leading uh, the first uh, European invasion of this magnitude since World War II. Your thoughts? Of course. Look, uh, Hollywood is owned by China. China look, we, we have Disney and other studios literally rewriting re and refilming segments of movies just to appease China. Uh, this is unheard of. Uh, the electronic uh, print media, electronic uh, digital media, the print media, they're all beholden to the Chinese for essentially their, their continued existence. And I think that's why you see anything that's bad regarding China or China policy is ignored or suppressed. And that's a, a larger link of, of, of why Putin is now partnering with China. They, they both will benefit in the short term. Eventually, there'll be problems. But I think right now, both sides see benefit. And remember, Lou, uh, one of the things Russia does blame us for, uh, you might recall Victoria Newland uh, of uh, the U.S. State Department back in 2014 was on the phone, intercepted, encouraging the uh, anti-Russian government to come into power in Ukraine. So there's all these things that have been done by previous administrations, with the exception of the Trump administration, which have essentially been done to advantage uh, the political leaders of the Democrat Party, not the United States. Uh, they've created real problems. And so when you see Nancy Pelosi, whose son, by the way, apparently is involved in some of this nonsense yeah. over there regarding businesses, when you see this, it's simply a camouflage. When they say, oh, we need to focus on Ukraine, it's a camouflage to justify and hide the, the bad outcomes of their domestic policy. They, they're, well, they're literally using this as a scapegoat to hide the failure of their own policy. Well, the issue to me seems to be to, to, to me to be uh, that the two largest totalitarian powers on the globe are now aligned in a strategic partnership uh, one is carrying out open warfare uh, in Europe against Ukraine, and the other is preparing to do so, it says, uh, uh, to retake Taiwan and has made its ambitions clear in the South China Sea. We are dealing with this with great clarity 
They're in right in front of us doing exactly as they have. There is nothing surreptitious or covert about what they're doing because it's blatant, it's bloody, and it's brutal. And the next phase may well be Asia and uh, uh, Indochina. Your, th your thoughts, Chris? I think that, uh, you know, President Trump said, look, we're getting out of Afghanistan, and here's how we're going to do it. And he had a phased, checked uh, plan. And uh, right. for, for months and months before, uh, there wasn't a single attack, no deaths of U.S. soldiers or airmen or Marines uh, in Afghanistan. Biden made it clear that uh, we're exhausted. We can't take it anymore. We're fatigued and we're done. And he, his, the tone of his withdrawal was markedly different than Trump. Trump was sort of a hey, look, we did what we said we we're going to do. We're fed up. We're going home, uh, sort of with a little bit of swagger. And Biden projected the image of uh, we're exhausted and defeated and we have to go home now. And of course, Afghanistan collapsed that way. Now he's faced with Ukraine and he has months and months of warning. He doesn't do deterrence. He does pathetic sanction threats that he admits himself were absolutely worthless and had no effect. And now we see Russia invading Ukraine. And as you just said a moment ago, China's watching this and they're saying to themselves, America is spent. They're exhausted. They don't have the willpower. They don't have the leadership. They don't have the backbone. They've got a Department of Defense under Lloyd Austin and uh, Bishop Garrison, the chief political commissar, who's busy spending hours and hours with critical race theory training. Their preparedness, their readiness sucks, to use a French term. And now is our opportunity uh, to make a move on Taiwan. And that's what's coming next. No uncertain terms. Tony, you're going to get the last word here today. So, yeah, I'm just trying to frame my answer around uh, the practical understanding of what needs to be done versus what Biden's doing. To Chris's point, uh, the weakness demonstrated by Biden was, I think, the final uh, assessment point for Putin regarding how weak Biden would be. And as Chris alluded, I was part of the planning. I talked to Mike Pompeo. I understood their basic plan of how they wanted to pull us out. And it was done from a position of strength. Uh, and one of the things that's notable uh, that we learned during the Cold War is the more capability you link to a deterrent, the more effective that deterrent is. And, and Trump was always linking specific capability to deterrence, yeah. and, and that was effective. Uh, we have no such link at this point. We have no ability to so link. What do we, so what do we do? What do we do, Tony? Uh, so, I mean, we've all, we've all lived that history. We, we know yeah. it. Presumably, our leaders have as well. They apparently have learned nothing. What are we to do? And we've got just a little over a minute here. In the same world, people would move forward with the impeachment of Joe Biden. That, that's what you would do. He is clearly not capable of holding the office of president. Repeatedly, that's been demonstrated. Absent of that, we've got to engage with those who will be willing to do something when we go roll back in. Uh, right now, Lou, I'm having conversations with members of Congress and the Senate who will be in a position to do something legislatively after this year, after I believe we win the midterms. Otherwise, if no one is willing to take action against Biden, uh, we have to plan for 2024 and doing something then. In the meantime, you're going to have a bunch of us behind the scenes doing our best to inform leadership of what they need to do to, to win this. 
I wish I could put a happier face on it, Lou. It, it's, it's not looking very good at this point. No, no, it's not. And the three of us agree on that. Like all Americans who care deeply for our country, we wish the outlook were otherwise. I want to thank the London Center's Tony Schaefer and Judicial Watch's Chris Farrell, both great Americans. Thanks for being with us today on the Great America Show, gentlemen, and for their straight talk on these important issues that are dominating our days. I know a lot of folks are following events in Ukraine, and some are understandably worried, whether religious or not. Some folks have questions about these times and their faith. I asked Pastor Robert Jeffress of the Dallas First Baptist Church to take up a few of those questions with us. Thanks for being with us, Pastor. To begin, why should people for whom religious liberty is important care about what's happening in Ukraine? Well, Lou, it's good to be with you again. You know, there are people, uh, Christians and non-Christians alike, uh, asking lots of questions. They're horrified by the images they're seeing on the screen of men, women, innocent children being decimated by the Russians. And uh, I think President Trump was right when he said this is appalling. Putin is a cold-stoned killer. But I think what we need to understand is, first of all, uh, Vladimir Putin's evil is no match for God's sovereignty. And that's a comforting reminder that God really is in control. The Old Prophet Uh, Old Testament prophet Daniel said that God is the one who elevates kings and destroys kings. And I just encourage people to remember that in the final analysis, Vladimir Putin is no more than a piece of lint on the pages of history, and God will flick him away whenever he's ready to do that. God's purpose is not going to be thwarted by Vladimir Putin. And then, you know, people wonder, and I'm hearing this, Lou, a lot, you know, is this going to be the event that triggers Armageddon and the end of the world? And I think we need to understand that while the Bible says we're living in the end times, that doesn't mean the end is here yet. I think there are some other things that have to happen. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew 24, 36, no man knows the time or the hour. Uh, It may be next year. It may be a thousand years. The important thing is to be ready whenever it happens. And then finally, Lou, I think we have a responsibility. What we're seeing ought to recommit us to pray for God's grace on those innocent uh, uh, Ukrainians. We're in touch, our church is, with uh, churches in Ukraine. We're trying to do what we can to support them. And I don't think there's anything wrong with praying for God's wrath to be poured out upon Putin and his godless invaders. Uh, You know, in the Psalms, David prayed for God's destruction of the enemies of God. We ought to be praying for the success of the Ukrainians over the Russians. And and you're speaking in religion in terms of theology. God permits this kind of suffering that we see in Ukraine, permits the kind of evil that we see in Vladimir Putin. Uh, I, I've heard a number of people talking about that uh, over the last two weeks. Yes, and it's a mystery, Lou. I mean, some people are irate when I even suggest that God could somehow use this evil to achieve his purpose. But the fact is, all history is his story, and God uses evil. He doesn't sanction evil. He doesn't will evil, 
But look at what he did with his own son. He allowed the torture and a crucifixion of his own son, Jesus Christ. Was that good or evil? Well, it was evil. Uh, the people who did it had evil intentions, but God used it for good to bring about our redemption. And the same thing is true here. Uh, even the devil, you know, Martin Luther said, even the devil is God's devil. God can use anything to achieve his purpose. I, I'd like to just conclude by bringing up a Pew Research Center poll on, on President Biden. And one year in, uh, Biden's job approval is down among black Protestants and other Christians and religious nuns, that is, uh, agnostics, atheists. Uh, your, your, your thoughts? Well, I don't think it's any surprise. I mean, with gas prices soaring everywhere, the religious and the non-religious had to fill up their tanks every week. And so I think this runaway inflation we're seeing can certainly be credited to Joe Biden and his policies. But beyond that, Lou, I think Christians are especially disappointed in the direction that he's gone. It wasn't any surprise to me, but I think some people are surprised at how far to the left he's gone. I said some Sunday morning in my sermon that the Biden administration is the ungodliest administration in the history of America. I mean, look, when it comes to religious liberty, it's Joe Biden and his administration that are rescinding every executive order on religious liberty that President Trump put into effect. When it comes to abortion, it is Joe Biden who's arguing to uphold Roe v. Wade as the Supreme Court decides whether or not to overturn it. It's Joe Biden who's sanctioning the destruction of 50 million children uh, unborn in the womb. And it's the Biden administration that is cramming this transgender uh, agenda down the throats of the American people. We've never seen anything like it. And so that's why I say without hesitation, his administration is the ungodliest in the history of our country. And uh, hopefully it's going to be a short administration one term. Well, that brings up the subject of elections. Uh... Are we going to see evangelicals, are we going to see uh, churchgoers uh, support uh, the Republican Party in this election? Uh, and your thoughts on, on that? Well, I think it depends on where the Republicans are. I think people like myself do not feel wed to the Republican Party. I'm going to vote for the candidates that uphold biblical values and those values that are good for America. So I think uh, uh, Republicans have made a mistake in the past when they say, well, we've got the evangelicals regardless. They don't have any other choice. Well, Mitt Romney thought that, too, and evangelicals stayed at home. Right. I think it's when uh, uh, Republicans stand for biblical values, they'll enjoy evangelical support. Yeah, and a lot of people are asking, given everything that is happening with this administration, uh, watching Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer lead uh, the Democrats, uh, the neo-Marxist uh, philosophy of the Democratic Party uh, and what they've become. Uh, how, how can one rationalize a vote for Joe Biden under those circumstances? 
there's no way to do it. He stand no, no, even though he says, you know, personally, he's religious. And, you know, I don't doubt that that's uh, between him and the Lord. But what he votes for, what he uh, sanctions is completely in opposition to the teaching of God's word. And Marxism, Marxism is a godless philosophy built on the concept there is no God except the state. Nobody who understands God's word can be a supporter of Marxist philosophy. Now, these are tough times, uh, difficult times at best for all of us to understand what is going on, either in a secular sense uh, or, or certainly in a religious sense, a theological sense. But to come to terms with uh, what we're watching uh, and how we comport ourselves, uh, your thoughts about uh, evangelical Christians and how they should be uh, thinking and conducting themselves uh, in these perilous times, how anyone who uh, believes in God, who is uh, a man or woman of faith, how they, uh, how they should think, how they should pray. Well, I think, Lou, that's a great question. And I preached on this Sunday. I was preaching from Matthew 5, Jesus' words, when he said to his followers, remember, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Salt was a preservative. It was used to delay the decay of meat in the days before refrigeration. It couldn't prevent the decay, but it could delay the decay. And in the same way, Jesus said, I'm leaving you here as my followers to be a preservative, to delay the decay, the rot of society so that people have longer to share the gospel. That's why I get involved in politics, Lou. Uh, voting for the right people, that's not going to bring in the millennium, but it is going to push back against evil and give society a little bit longer to turn to faith in Christ. But then he said, not only are you light, or, or pardon me, salt, you're to be light. You're the light of the world. And I would just remind Christians that we have one responsibility, and that's to point people to Jesus Christ. And frankly, the darker the world, the darker the culture, the brighter the light of Christ shines. So I would say to our fellow Christians who are listening to this podcast, don't lose hope. God is in control. He has a purpose that he is working out for all of us. Pastor Robert Jeffress is always eloquent. Uh, moving and uh, enlightening. We thank you so much, uh, as always. I appreciate it, and uh, God bless you. Uh, it's great to, great to hear your voice and your wisdom. Thank always you, great to be with you, Lou. Thank you so much. All the best. As you know, this show is all about truth, justice, and the American way, and that has always meant that we Americans talk straight and we're optimists, even when the times test us times just like these. Thank you for being with us today. God bless you, and God bless America. Join us again tomorrow for the Great America Podcast. Stay in the fight. Truth, justice, and the American way will prevail against all enemies, against all odds.